to Bovine Banter with the Penn State Extension Dairy Team. My name is Ginger Fenton, and I'm a dairy educator based in Mercer County, Pennsylvania. This episode is the final one in our series on raising dairy calves. Today, I'll be talking with two producers about their approach to housing calves. Joining us today are Brooks Rind and Steve Paxton, who are both dairy producers in Northwestern Pennsylvania. And Brooks, we'll start with you. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your farm? Yes, um, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Brooks Rind. We have a farm in uh, Northwest Pennsylvania, uh, Crawford County, just outside of Cochranton. We milk about 160 registered Holsteins and Brown Swiss. The farm's been in the family for eight generations. Currently, my father, my uncle, and I are owners, partners, and my son, who just graduated from high school last May, is he's he's on the farm now, working with us. We have a herdsman, and we have some other employees. We have a parlor and a newer facility that we built in 2009 for the milk cows. And we've repurposed some of our other buildings for calves and younger heifers and such. We farm about 500 acres. Sounds like you have quite a history. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty long. Can you tell our listeners about your calf program? We raise all of our calves ourselves. The bull calves we sell most most all, we don't even have a herd bull anymore, but the bull calves we sell, but the heifer calves, we raise them all. We typically don't buy any, maybe a show calf here and there, but most all of our calves are born on the farm and raised on the farm. Uh, my son and my herds person, Melissa, Jack's my son and my herds person's Melissa. They are, we're transitioning things, so they're running the calf program mainly. I used to run it most most of the time I'd feed calves and kind of head it up. Since I've brought them into doing things a lot more, they're a little more, oh, I would say they're more detail-oriented. They're really trying to push to get the best growth out of the calves and talk to a lot of people and get, um, we've been working with Kelly Clayton from Centera on our, we feed pasteurized milk and they've been working with her quite a bit lately actually about what to feed the calves and get in a good protocol for our feeding system, changing things around a little bit and stuff like that. The end goal is to have them as replacements for our own cattle. We have been using a lot of sex semen. So in the future, I, I hope to have extra heifers to sell, but right now we're trying to build our herd back up. After COVID, we had to cut back on our cow numbers because our dairy made us cut back on milk. So we did sell some off. Um, we called harder. We shrunk our herd size down a little bit. We were about 190 cows and we're down to 160. We're trying to build that back up to 190 cows. So really the immediate goal is for them to be replacements on our farm and to get the most milk out of them that we can. Also, hopefully an opportunity will present itself in the future for us to sell some of those heifers is open heifers or breeding or breeding age heifers. The focus of our conversation today is about calf housing. So can you tell us where your calves are housed and for how long? Uh, I mentioned earlier, we built a new facility in 2009. We used to milk in a 94, 94 stall, um, wasn't a bank barn, but old tie stall barn. It was great for milking cows, but we went to the freestall in the parlor, made life a lot easier. So that barn, we actually, we've done a few things in the 
since we moved into the other barn, we had, we built a barn for them. And then we kind of switched away from that because of the ventilation. So we went to this barn and actually all the calves, the baby calves are housed within the old uh, milking facility. That barn, we're able to put 30 individual pens in that barn. And then we have a group pen at the back of the barn for them. So it's, it, it is a tunnel ventilated barn, which really helps with the um, ventilation issues. And it was, it was good to be able to repurpose the barn. So one of the reasons that um, I thought about talking to you on this topic was because when I visited your farm in the past, I know you had some experience with pair housing calves. And I wondered if you'd be willing to talk about that and what you're doing now. Yes, we pair housed calves up until about, I would say, January of this past year, maybe later on in the spring, I guess, is when we quit pair housing them, March pro probably. At that time, we had, they were calf tail type pens that are in barns, not the hutches, the pens with panels on each side. And then the front had the head gates where the calves stick their head through. They had bottle holders and bucket holders and everything like that. And we would just take an individual calf tail pen and put two of them together. So we, we pair housed those calves. It worked pretty well for us. At the back of the pen, we put a wire mesh gate, um, like a hog panel, cattle panel. But as, as we went along, we noticed that the air quality, the air moving through those pens was still restricted. So by having that, we decided that we, we should change things around. And it was actually Melissa and Jack's idea. And we actually changed it from pair housing to individual housing of the calves. And actually what we did was what we, we turned the pens, we took the panels out and we put uh, cattle panels the whole way back between each pen. So the calves are still right beside each other. There's just a wire panel between each pen. And then we still do use the head, the head gates where they have the feed and the bottle holders and everything, but they're on the edge. So it doesn't restrict any airflow at all. So that kind of helped us. It made things easier, made things uh, more streamlined, a lot better airflow, easier to clean the pens out. And the calves just tend to be doing a little better that way. What do you see as important considerations for managing where your calves are housed? The biggest thing I think is ventilation. We've had calves forever and it just seems like that is the biggest, the biggest bottleneck has been ventilation for us. You get more pneumonia if you don't have the right quality air. The way we change things seems like it's really helping that. Also, um, the other thing that I feel is big consideration is I got three kids of my own. One's grown. The other two are still in, uh, one's in elementary school, one's in high school. I got some nephews. So we have younger kids doing the work. A lot of times they're tasked with feeding the calves. And we found that the best way to get things done right is to make it user-friendly and easier on labor. So the way we have it set up, actually, they can get free choice water a lot better this way. They are fed grain better. They just have to go down through. It's a lot less labor intensive the way we feed the calves. So that is one of the big things when we did set it up this way. I wanted to set it up so everybody could feed them better and easier. So we clean the pens better between calves. Um, you just have to shovel them out the front and put new bedding in and we're good to go. But ventilation, I would say, would be the top one. And then the second one for us just, just seems to be 
if you can make it easier to feed them, then it's more enjoyable for whoever is doing it. And it gets done right, basically, is the way we see it. Cleaning pens is, so we try to do it about every three weeks. We clean the whole barn. So we'll scrape it all out, take all the pens apart, scrape it all out, and then put the calves back after we bed it all up. We are starting to do, and we really hadn't done cleaning the pens individually after we moved them, but we are starting to do that very recently. We have started to do that, and it, it really does make a big difference, it seems. Like if you had a calf with a little bit of a scours or something, you really can, you can cut back on that if you do keep them, get them cleaned out a little more often. So that's our, that's our goal, I guess. Do you have any takeaway messages or key points that you'd like to share with our listeners? The people that are heading up our calf program, my son and my herds person, they really are, they want to do the new things. They want to learn how to do things better. And I think everybody needs to have an open mind to that. And the best way to do things might not always be like I always thought it was always the way we did it before. And that was, that was good enough. Well, there's always different things you can try and do. It just seems like the younger ki kids. I remember when I was that age, my mind was, you know, full. And I would like to do things differently, you know, and, and with their ideas and everything and working with professionals like, um, Centera and we have a nutritionist from Cargill and, and Purina. Um, I think that's where you get your best. I think you get a lot of good ideas from them as well as working with extension and just getting ideas from everybody and, and basing your calf program off of things. It doesn't have to be a brand new calf barn that you see calf tail have or, or, you know, a hundred hutches on it's whatever you can do with your facility to make it work. I think that's the one thing that I always thought you'd had to have brand new everything. Well, if you can transition things and make it work for yourself, sometimes you can make a, an old barn that you never thought you would use for anything else turn into a really good facility for calves. Joining us today is Steve Paxton. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your farm? Thank you for wanting to talk to us. I wanted to just mention that we are a dairy farm that's been in existence since 1809. Uh, when I was a child, we had about 20 cows on the farm. Uh, today, my brother and I are the owners of the farm, and we have about 540 cows. We've also uh, diversified a little bit in the last 10 years or so. We have a grain operation, which is probably about as equal amount of acres as what it takes to feed the cows. And we've also got into a little bit of a beef operation with some cow-calf things started from Jersey Angus Crosses. As far as who runs the farm, we have uh, about seven full-time helpers. We have about that many as well in part-time. A lot of high school kids do help us out mm -hmm. quite a bit till they go to college and leave us. <laughs> but we still get enough people coming through to make it work. We have diversified quite a bit, and in the last couple of years, that's been a big plus as far as the economic gain from having more than one operation in place. Sometimes it gets a little hectic, but uh, we have enough people that it seems to work. We also, I, one thing I would mention, we do a, a lot of custom harvesting for so, about seven or eight other farms, depending on how many, how many sign up in the fall for corn harvest. And uh, that keeps our helper, our outside guys, the ones that do most of the crop work, keeps them employed for the whole year. Everybody 
has enough work. And uh, whether we make money at it, I am not sure, but it gets our har- it gets our crops harvested on time with a large forage harvester. And I think we justify it by making making it make the payments on the equipment. And uh, whether we financially weigh ahead, I can't say, but I know it gets things done. And that seems to be the name of the game anymore. Can you tell our listeners about your calf program? Well, our our calf program is basically uh, we start baby calves out in individual pens for about the first two weeks. A young lady is kind of in charge of that with a couple of her key helpers. So she gets a little bit of time off. Our challenges with raising calves around here are in the first two weeks of their life. If we get them past the first two weeks, we pretty much got it made. But we've had some challenges with that. I think we've worked through most of it, but it's still there. We have an issue with uh, cryptosporidia. We have to be very careful with that as far as cleanliness and uh, using a lot of chlorine dioxide and things like that. We use hutches inside a building. We don't have hutches outside. And we have about four different places we put hutches so we can keep rotating that space around so we can keep something cleaned up and uh, sanitized. And uh, we could use more space there, but that's where we are right now. And then we get them up to about at least 10 days old, preferably two weeks. We group them up into pens of about nine or 10. And we use what we call mob feeders, which are basically just 15-gallon soap drums with nipples on the sides. We call them mob feeders because that's exactly what it looks like when they're drinking. It's just a mob of calves going around. And since we're north of the equator, they circle to the right. And uh, it's pretty much predictable. But anyhow, uh, we can feed them quickly that way. You can still notice if there's any calves with problems because they won't be up there drinking. I mean, I think you could actually find it quicker in a group pen than you can looking through uh, nine or ten individual hutches. Most of the issues we have with those group feeding, if there are issues, are, are respiratory things. We don't usually have too much as far as scours and things like that. Uh, we feed them very heavy. They're usually getting uh, at least two gallons of milk. This is Jersey calves, of course, two gallons of uh, pasteurized milk every day. And some days, if we happen to have a little bit more, they'll get more than that. They're pretty satisfied when they're done drinking. We don't have much issues with calves sucking on each other. But the key is they've got to be full and satisfied so they don't go around looking for something else to suck on. We don't use very many of those uh, preventative weaning rings. I do get a couple cows come through with three teats as a two-year-old's calving, but nothing significant. And I'm not sure I can always blame it on somebody sucking on somebody else. That's a real labor saver, feeding calves like that. We probably have, uh, I'd say, 60 or 70 calves on milk right now, of which probably 30 or 40 would be in that group feeding area. It's easy to take care of them there. You can bed the area very nicely. Uh, It's worked very well for us. I appreciate you sharing your innovative solution. The focus of our conversation today is about housing, and you already mentioned this a little bit, but can you tell us more about the building where your calves are housed? Was it built for that purpose, or is it something that was repurposed to be your calf barn? Yes, it was built for that purpose. Um, it's basically got pens that are 12 feet wide by 24 feet long. There's a water in that pen, and then, of course, we just set a rubber tire in the middle of that pen and set that mob feeder in but the beauty of it is we just keep shifting the calves up through the pens they're all the same 
And when it comes to weaning, there's not hardly any change in their environment. Now, they might be 50 feet further from where they started, but the same pen, same feeding ideas, hay rack, all grain, all that's exactly the same. So there's no there's no changes for the calf as they become uh, old enough to be weaned. We, we don't shoot for weaning calves real early. No, no sooner than 60 days. We, it, we go at least a full two months. And I would say generally we go longer than that. I think we just think that they do so much better. We want to make sure they're eating grain. As long as they're eating grain real well, we will move that weaning date right along. But uh, we don't push it. We don't get excited about it. I think milk is very important to keep a Jersey calves are so small and don't always have a lot of fat on them for wintertime and so on. So you want to make sure that you keep them well fed. Uh, that's that's the whole name of the game to keep them going, especially in cold weather. So aside from keeping them well fed, what are your other key things that you're looking at for managing your calf housing area? Well, the ventilation is pretty much all natural in this barn we're talking about. We have really good side curtains that we move up and down pretty much with the weather uh, they are down right now and tightened up, but if the weather would warm up like it might even today, they might crack them up a little bit. The The building itself is, it's worked very well for housing calves. I'd say there's, oh, there's, they're going to stay in this barn where they start out with the mob feeders till they're probably at least three months old, three and a half. And so then they move to another barn, very similar to that with group housing, but they're bigger pens and there's more calves in each pen. Same deal there with some good curtains on the side so we can control the air. I think bedding is also very critical. Uh, in the in the wintertime, we use more straw than we do sawdust. All summer long, we use just straight sawdust. Uh, we want some place for them to snuggle in. We do use, uh, I forgot to mention, but those younger calves that are only... 10 days to two weeks. We run calf jackets on them all all the way through that, um, especially if it's cold. But I mean, we have calf jackets on right now, even though it's only going into the mid-20s for lower temperature in the evening. I, we just feel better about keeping them less stressed. Uh, it doesn't seem to take much to take them off of milk and, and you have problems. So you try to stay ahead of that. He mentioned... Crypto, I know how important it is to clean the calf housing area. I think you also said you use chlorine dioxide, but I wondered if you could walk us through your cleaning process for those pens. We actually spray chlorine dioxide on the walls and the floor of these pens. We scatter a lot of lime. I think one of the keys is um, we get the pens all outside so sunshine can do what it can. It's a little bit more challenging in the winter. But in the summer, definitely, we, we get them outside. Cleanliness is part of it, but it's almost impossible to completely eliminate crypto. You just have to always be on the stick, uh, keeping track. One of the things we have discovered, and, and I think the peop a lot of people who will be listening to this will not be raising Jersey calves, but one of the challenges with the Jerseys is they, they cannot get past that crypto sometimes. It's a real challenge. And through a nutritionist that we were talking to, we realized that even though crypto probably won't kill the calf, it can weaken the calf enough that something else will come in. And so we've basically just started putting a, a penicillin-type product in these calves whenever they start to get sick, even though we have no idea what we're going through. And that has done wonders as far as getting them through. It doesn't get all of them through. I'm, I'm not going to say we have a really super non-mortality rate, but we do 
lose a few, but it's usually some complications from the calf. Either had troubles right from the start, it wasn't a good eater or things like that. But if they if they're pretty tough and we can catch them right away if they start to scour, uh, we can put some um, we use Polyflex or something like that, and we can get them through it. But we, at first uh, we we weren't doing much of that because we thought, well, we can just feed them through it. Well, that just doesn't always work. You do have to keep the fluids way up and all that, but you have to put something in there to prevent some other things that show up when the calf gets weaker. As we wrap up, do you have any key pieces of advice or takeaway messages that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I think the key thing about raising calves is the person that raises them. I'm sorry that I'm not the person that would should be doing that on our farm, even though I have done it in the past. My wife did it for a while, but I have a young lady now that does a really good job. They, it, it takes somebody that really has to watch them close because most of the time you can get them through whatever happens if you catch it very early. So I think the key in any heifer raising program is the people that are watching the calves. Good procedures and good good uh, follow up on everything you do is important, but somebody has to be observing and uh, making sure that they catch problems right away. I I know what day my regular calf feeder's off, and I have to actually go do a little more checking on that day because the young man that covers for her, he's pretty good, but he doesn't have the experience to catch those things that she does. And uh, you have to kind of help everybody out, work together on it. But the key is the person, I think. Uh, we finally figured out the girl we have helping us now. She's been with us for about five or six years, and it's really made a difference because she, she really cares and she tries very hard to keep things the way they're supposed to be. And that seems to be the key. Thank you very much, Steve. I appreciate you sharing your insight. Thank you to Brooks and Steve for taking the time to talk with us today. And thank you to all of our listeners. Don't forget to tune in to our next episode of Bovine Banter. If you have any questions about today's episode, you can email me at gdc3 at psu.edu. 